poor old brother came to me on the side one day and he said to preacher he said to could I say something to you? And I said, well, sure. He said, now, I've been in, I've been serving the Lord a long time. He said, I'm an old man now, and you're young. He said, I just want to drop you a hint. He said, you can catch more flies with molasses than you can with vinegar. And I said to him, but brother, I'm not trying to catch flies. I'm trying to kill sinners and bring them to the end of themselves and shut them up to Christ. You see, you have to die in order to deceive. You have to die in order to deceive. Now, if that's true, then the greatest need of our churches today is for the news to get out that God's people are waiting upon God in prayer that will not take no for an answer. And I have not in use to try to advertise the preacher. People have heard about that before. There certainly would be something strange if people all over this community got afraid because they heard that God's people were on their knees. You see, <clears throat> In order to get anybody saved, you have to preach a message that makes religious people mad, and makes wise people laugh, say it's crazy, for the preaching of the cross is a scandal to religious people, and it's foolish to worldly wise people, but it's the power of God to those who are saved and the wisdom of God. We have to preach a message that kills people, and that's not nice to hear. And if that message goes forth on the ground that hasn't been watered for the prayers of God's people, it burns instead of blessing. If I knew how, I would say another word to encourage every child of God We've had meetings and meetings, programs and programs. We're getting worse in the ditch all the time. You know I'm telling the truth. Your own loved ones don't pay much attention to you when you talk to them about the soul. Your own neighbors don't want you to talk to them much. We're in a, we're in a desperate shape. And there's just one remedy, and that's prayer, an answered prayer. And the victory will be decided and the battle won or lost in the place of prayer. Amen. That's right. I wish I could encourage all of you to see that. Now tonight, if you have your Bible, the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John is our first scripture. And I'm asking you tonight this question. Do you know God? Do you know the God whose character and purpose and will and provision is given to us in this blessed book? Now I know that you have a God 
A man has to have a God. All men have a God. You boys and girls have a God. You worship some sort of a God. You've got a God. You serve it or Him. And the business of getting men to the true God is a terrible business because you've got to kill a man's gods before he'll find the true God. Now, if you start killing a man's gods, he'll fight you. Some of us have made a god out of doctrine. Some of us have made a god out of tradition. Some of us have made a god out of our own denomination. Some of us have made a god out of money. Some a god out of pleasure. Some of us have taken our own little pocket knives and whittled us out of God that will enable us to be religious and still live in sin. You either know the true God or a God of your own imagination. This generation is like the people who were God's covenant people, God's elect nation, a few of whom were saved. A whole nation, the Jewish nation, was elect as a nation, but only a few of them knew the Lord and were saved. There was a remnant, even out of God's chosen nation. And it said in the Old Testament of them that they feared God and served their own idols. And that's a true picture of many today. They fear God and serve their own idols. Do you know the God of this book? I propose to ask that over and over again tonight because when I read the text, you'll find the importance of it. In the 17th chapter of John, beginning with verse 1, Follow me now. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal. Now watch it. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. My Lord said, No man knows the Father but me. And if any man gets acquainted with God, I'll have to introduce him. Here the Lord says that he's the one that gives eternal life to men and women. He's the only one that has the power to do it. He is the giver of eternal life to men and women. 
And then the Lord Jesus tells us what eternal life is. This may shock you, but hold on to your feet. Eternal life doesn't have anything to say about how long the life lasts. Eternal life is talking about what the life is. A man who has eternal life is a man that knows God. That's what eternal life is. A man that doesn't know God is in a state of eternal death. And a man who knows God has eternal life. We Baptists had better watch this now. Eternal life in the Scriptures is not talking about how long something will last. It's talking about the quality of it. And eternal life is simply to know God. Not know about Him, but know Him. This is life eternal, to know God. That's what Jesus said. It. That says it then, don't you? No argue about this. People say, well, Brother Barnum, I don't agree with you on such and such thing. That's your privilege. I'm not very smart. I'm pretty dumb. You may be smarter than I am. And you may be right, and I may be wrong, but Jesus is not wrong, and he says eternal life is to know God. That's what eternal life is, to know God. A man then who is sad is a man who's got a with the living God. That's eternal life. That's eternal life. We Baptists switch out your tobacco from one jaw to the other and argue about once saved, always saved forever. It's not Christmas is. That's not what the scripture emphasizes. It's the quality of it. Ladies and gentlemen, that's enough to make our hair stand on our head in this day. When we know a good deal of God, do we know it? What kind of God do you worship? What kind of God do you serve? Just bound to turn them. In the olden days, when men didn't like the knowledge they had of the true God, they said, Fall on him. And then they began to cut out little gods of their own. Man's got to have a God. But unless a man knows my experience, the true God, who is Jesus Christ. He's missed eternal life. He doesn't have eternal life, but that's what it is. Eternal life is something floating around up in the sky to theorize about eternal life to know God. But Jesus said, do you know God? I was on a meeting in Tulsa in my hometown, Winston-Salem. And uh, on Wednesday night, for the first meeting, I announced that tomorrow night, the Lord willing, I'd preach on the subject why God sends men to hell. Back to the service over, great big fella. I remember him because his stomach advertised him. It came along way ahead of it. Looked like the past. <laughs> he came up to me there pompously, told me what his name was, didn't mean anything to me. I had met him before, and uh, 
Uh, he said, uh, I'll be back tomorrow night. Well, I said, I'm sorry that you cannot come. Oh, he said, I could come, but said, I don't want to. He met somebody. I knew it was. Found out later. Well, I said, I'm sorry you don't want to come. Well, he said, sir, I heard you announce your subject. And he said that my Lord won't send anybody to hell. And I said, I guess you're right, my friend. Your Lord won't send anybody to hell. But I said, the God of the Bible will. The God of the Bible send people to hell. Made him mad. Found out later he's the high monkey to monk. <laughs> Name Piston Rod. <laughs> it was a church. He got mad, didn't come back. <coughs> Do you know the God of the Bible? Or did you whittle one out? To suit yourself. This is a serious question, folks. Are you acquainted with God? Do you know Him by experience? That God whom you cannot find by searching, has He made Himself known to you? Do you know? There are two Greek words used in the New Testament for no, and one of them is to know by experience. My soul, my brother man, do you by experience know the true God? I was Bristol, Tennessee, some years ago. We had lots of stir. And I remember Pastor took me out one day into the country to have dinner with one of the deacons who lived in the country. And I, I'm telling you the truth. I ain't preaching now. I'm telling the truth. They had four different kinds of meat. I don't know how many kinds of vegetables, two or three kinds of cheese, three or four kinds of pie, buttermilk came from a cow, not from a bottle, and uh, here's a sight. There's a lot of beef and chicken and pie and cake and beans entered the minister that day. Well, I sat at this end of the table and the dead deacon sat down there. And I could tell during the service that he mad at somebody. I knew it was. And he had a great big Adam's apple. It was a big one. Looked like a turkey gobbler's Adam's apple. You've seen it, ain't He'd take a bite of chicken and that old Adam's apple would bob up and down, he's red in the face. And directly uh, he said, Preacher! He said, uh, The God I worship won't do like you preach. I never said a word. I began to smell a mouth. He was mad at somebody. <laughs> And I wanted some more chicken then of the minister before I got thrown out. <laughs> and I kept on eating. 
And the next lady said, Preacher, you hear what I said? I said, Yes, sir. I just kept on eating. I said, Yes, I didn't want to start a fight because he's bigger than I was. <laughs> and now I was. And directly he said, I said the God I worship won't do like you preach. He said, What do you got to say about that, sir? And I thought I couldn't get out of it. And I said, I'm sure you're telling the truth. The God you worship won't do like the God of the Bible. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it'll not do to answer facts by creating a God that does like you want God to do. Beware of creating your own God. Because the only eternal life in for sinful men is to know the true God. And I think that nowhere is the issue joined about the God that men and women know, whether he's the true God or the God that men have created out of their own imagination. I think the issue is joined more on the matter of what your God, what his attitude towards sin is. What is your God's attitude towards sin? I was in Texas the other day, and a deacon told me, he said, Preacher, as far as I know, there's just one sin in my life. But he said, I'm saved, and I can't be lost. And he said, I get a lot of pleasure out of that sin. And I said, Brother, I hope you have a good time, because you are sure to burn in hell as I'm preaching to you. Because any man who worships a God will let you rest when you know the sin in your life, you've got the wrong God. Amen. You know a God that you sunk of, and yet that's the common conception today. I know this is wrong, but I'm going to have me now. No, you ain't. Not with that attitude. Not with that attitude. Oh, beloved, do you know the true God who had eyes so pure that it cannot look on sin? Now behold iniquity. Who must save you from all iniquity who sends you to hell? Do you know that God? Do you and your God have fellowship? When there's anything in your life that you know to be wrong, if you do, you built your own God, and you do not know the God of the Bible. Nowhere is the issue joined more than when we face this question. 
God you worship him. Does your God hate you? Does your God propose to punish you? Does your God, as he said himself to the proposition, that he will by no means clear the Does the God you worship have towards sin? I've never seen much of the bread for revival. Once in a while, God has been good, and it seemed He opened the windows of heaven, brought a spirit of prayer and confession, making things right on the part of His people. The Spirit of God was outpoured, and then it's wonderful to be around. Makes you hungry to see real revival. And I went one time some years ago to hold a meeting under these circumstances. I'd been in the town in a church meeting. God was pleased to bless, and no small stir in the city. They, on Tuesday night of the first week, they had started a petition down at the big mill where everybody worked. They had several hundred people sign it by Tuesday, by Wednesday. And the petition was to run me out of town. Wednesday night, they said I was radical. Why, they said that fellow believes in holy living. That fellow preaches that unless you try and act to perfection, you're not saved. That fellow preaches that you can't be, that you can't have any sin. But if you can be content to indulge in any sin, you're lost. But any sin come to your knowledge, if it doesn't break your heart, cause you to turn for sake at your laws, you do not know God. Well, they said, that fellow's a whole Lord. Isn't that awful that Baptists, who in all their creeds, say they believe in Bible salvation, and yet they're making fun of holiness, and they're going to run me out of town, and God came to the rescue, and my soul. He turned defeat into victory. I've never seen anything that tasted like revival until God's people got out on the limb where they'd be disgraced or God had come to the rescue. I've never seen revival yet till people got to pray in definite so they'd know whether God listened to them or not. Asking God for something definite. And the whole city was stirred. And when the meetings were over, the pastors of the town asked me to meet with them. Imagine this. Never happened but once in my little ministry. And they said, we like to talk to you about coming back to our city in a citywide meeting. Most citywide meetings are jokes. And so I said, well, what about it? And they said, well, we'd rent the city auditorium and we'd buy you an hour's time on the radio and we'd promise to pack the thing out and we'd get our people behind it. And we'd be on our faces before God if you'd come for a month. But they said, now, we want to make two requests of you before we agree on this meeting. And they said, the chairman said to one of the spokesmen, said, we're not trying to tell you how to run your business, but this is out of deep conviction. They said, would you come to our city and agree before you got here that you'd preach three weeks on one subject? and not give any kind of an invitation. Now, that's so unusual. 
And I said, what is the subject? They said, would you come for the time on the radio every day? And every night in the auditorium, would you preach on one subject? What is it? The subject, will the God of the Bible punish sin? Don't anybody believe it will now? We pray without a little God that won't punish sin. Nobody's screaming for mercy now because they don't believe God hates sin. They said, no use for us to try to get men to be saved. They ain't got them to be saved from. They don't think that God will punish sin. If God won't punish sin, I see no use of men having a Savior. For the Savior came to save men, F-R-O-M's, from sins. And if God don't punish sin, I don't see where we need to be saved from. These preachers said, we preaching our hearts out here, and nobody wants to be saved. Nobody wants to be done with sin. Nobody wants to be turned to righteousness. And the reason for it is that nobody much believes that God will punish them. And said, instead of trying to get people to accept Jesus as Savior when they don't feel like they need him, if you'd come and preach three weeks on the radio and in the auditorium on the subject, will God punish sin? we pray for you and stay on our faces that God Almighty take the truth over the radio and in the auditorium. Men and women would go to their place of business and back to their homes and get to where they couldn't sleep so good, facing the awful fact that the God who revealed himself in the pages of this book that our mother stained with our tears and some of our forefathers uh, gave their life blood to defend. They said, those preachers said, we believe somebody would feel the need of being saved. Being saved. And I went. And one time in my life, I saw Holy Ghost conviction. I saw men who could not go to that place of business. I saw people have to go to the hospital so stricken with the fear of God. They said the people went crazy. One young woman was sent to the asylum and got through cussing the yet. But conviction seized that town. Businessmen were saved. Church members were saved. Young people were saved. People everywhere were saved. We never did give an invitation in that revival. We never did get a chance. We never did get a chance. As long as you have to invite people to come to Jesus, you ain't in spirit of where God wants us to be. you know. Is that the God you know? For the God of the Bible will punish sin. He said to punish sin. He said to punish sin. And every act of his and every word of the Scripture joined to you to let this generation know that God Almighty said to punish sin. There is told of a country community filled with God, with God-fearing people. And a man moved in the community and bought a farm right next to the little church where the people worshipped. And this man was an unbeliever. And he'd work all week on his farm. 
And then on the Lord's day, he'd, he'd back up his tractor and he'd fly around his land right close to the church so that the noise of the tractor would interfere with the worship. Oh, he was a tough hungry. So nothing took place. Finally, the crops were gathered, and this man made a bunker crop. Bunker crop. And he wrote a letter to the editor of the little weekly newspaper. And he said, I violated your Sabbath day and a crowd in the fields on Sunday while y'all was in church. And he said, I've made more per acre than anybody in this country. He says, I prove to you that you don't have to pay any attention to this God business. And the editor published the letter without comment except down at the bottom of the letter. He said, my friend, God don't settle accounts in the month of October. Just hold on a little while. God don't always settle accounts in the month of October. But it is appointed unto man wants to die. Back to that, the judgment. After that, the judgment. May not be in October, but it'll come. When God deals with men and women about the sin question, the God of the Bible is against sin. The God of the Bible set to punish sin. And the God of the Bible proposes to send them to hell. There to punish them forever for their sins. Not for their father's sin, but theirs. Not for society's sin, but theirs. The God of the Bible hates sin. I wouldn't be critical, but I heard a young preacher who had been listening to some older preacher try to apologize for God. And this young preacher had copied a statement I've heard many times that God does not send people to hell. They send themselves. Why, well, just as silly as to say, I break the law. I arrest myself. I put myself in jail. I try myself. I go out and form a jury and sentence myself, and then I execute myself. Oh, let's not try to apologize. The God of the Bible sent people to hell. Deserves. Deserves. Nowhere, I think, is the issue joined. I repeat more on the God. You know whether he's the true God or one you cut out with your pocket knife. More than right here. What attitude does your God take towards sin? Do you have a God that enables you to treat the Lord's day as you please? Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. The God that America worships that lets them turn Sunday into a holiday and the God of this Bible, two different people. Amen. The God that America serves that lets them to have some sin and quit others. The most church members all on earth that ever happened to them, they quit some of the sins and will go to hell defending others. 
the God of the Bible will send men to hell. Who will God send them? The old theologians approached this question from two different directions and said the same thing. They said, first of all, that God will send nobody to hell whom he can wisely save. Would you listen to me? There are some things that God cannot do and stay God. And ten million times worse would it be for God to cease to be God than for you to be sent to hell. I eat further for you to spend eternity in hell than for God to be put out of business. I got a lot involved in this God business. My firstborn child has been dead for these many years, and I'd rather for you to go to hell than to put God out of business. Because you put God out of business, I've got no hope for my baby. I'll never see her again. And I'd rather see you go to hell than to have to do away with God. And you can put it back that God's going to save everybody he can and stay God. But he's not going to save anybody at the expense of his character. He's not going to cease to be holy. Before he'll do that, he'll send the last one of us to hell. There are a lot of things worse than to see sinners sent to hell. Now, this may sound strange, but God Almighty, if this Bible is true, is going to save everybody from hell, that he can, using all the means at his disposal and all the power that he's got. He's going to keep everybody out of hell that he can and stay God. But there's some things God can't do and stay God. And one thing that God can't do and stay God, not the God of this Bible, the God of this Bible can't save anybody except on his terms. Unless he laid down the path. I'm not a fatalist. Brother, I believe this all in the hands of God, not by faith. God will save men on his own terms 
And before God will change his terms, he'll send men to hell. He'll send men to hell. That's an awful thought. The terms upon which God proposes to save men are repentance and faith. And faith that has in it the quality of perseverance and victory and endurance and conquering power over sin. The old theologians said that God saves men on the terms of repentance and faith and perseverance. <clears throat> we think it a little better now to say he saves men on terms of repentance, a whole hatred of and forsaking of all sin, and a laying hold on Jesus Christ in such a way as never being wrong to turn and lose. Listen to me. Listen to me. Do not misunderstand me. Salvation isn't like this, that God's sitting over here, and the sinner's sitting over here, and the plain checkers, and God makes his move, and then it's up to the sinner to make his move. And when the sinner's made his move, then God steps in and saves. No, no. God doesn't save men if they repent. God doesn't save men if they have faith. God saves men through repentance and faith. That's the only way God can save anybody. Through that sinner turning from his sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is. No, no, no. I am talking about God does his part. And then the sinner's got to do his part. But the Bible says that salvation's God's part. And that God saves Now listen to Brother Barnes preach tonight. Listen to me now. God doesn't save people if they're willing to be saved. Listen, God doesn't save people. Now watch it. God doesn't save people if they're willing to be saved. Did you get that? God doesn't save people if they're not willing to be saved. God saves people by bringing them to the place they're willing to be saved. Sin, listen to me. Listen to me. Until you see that, you are sure to go to hills I'm preaching to you. As long as you think it's in your power to do something that'll fix it so God will save you, you will never be saved. Amen. You are in the hands of God. You can change your ways, but you can't change your heart. You can change some of your activities, but you can't change the thing in here that makes you walk. God looks at the heart. And a man has been brought to repentance just as long as he's quit some of his sinful ways. A man's been brought to repentance until he abhors himself and turns from himself. Another hatred not only of his act, but of his self. His self. But he comes. Oh, my friend, don't you get your doctrine out of your you a new heart. Only he can make you pure. Only he can make you holy. You know you can't do that yourself. 
on the present day preaching, people say, well, I'm going to say you sometime. No, you ain't. And we've got to come back and everybody says it ain't so with our hearts breaking and bleeding. And set me with the truth of God. God makes men willing to be saved. Amen. You need God to do something for you. And I said, well, if I be that, I told my heart, well, you do, you go to hell. You really believe that you start crying to God. You say, well, brother God, you mean I can't save myself? I mean exactly that. You say, brother God, you mean I can't work it out myself? I mean exactly that. Nobody else. You won't send them to hell. You won't send them to hell. Now I bet you, a fellow that ain't willing to go to heaven, I don't think you have much kick at the judgment of God sending them to hell. I'm tell you something else, honey. As long as you've got your sleeve rolled up, spitting on your hand, doing your best to go to hell, I don't think you have much argument with God if you land there. I tell you, men and women, who want to go to heaven but are using all of that strength to go to hell, that ain't the way to get saved. God had to take a rock on I didn't want to be saved. I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't want to stand with the judgment. But I didn't want to be done with sin. I didn't want to be done with sin. And that's what salvation is, to be done with sin. When I tell you that no man can come to the Lord except the Father draws him, I'm not arguing doctrine to you. I'm not closing the door in your face. I'm showing you where it is. Oh, my soul, sinner. God makes people willing to be saved on God's terms. Wonder why he hadn't made you willing yet. But most folks he hadn't made willing. Because they're doing everything they know to go to hell. But if he made rock bond and willing, all the glory goes to him. And I come back to tell you. But you keep telling me we can't go on much longer like that. Well, that's right. We don't need some more conversions like a lot we've had in the past. We need somebody made willing to be saved on God's terms. We don't need many more professing Christians who are trying to find out how much sinning they can have and still go to heaven. We need somebody that wants to be down with sinning. And that's the reason if I leave her. I'll get you to pack the places of prayer and water the floor with the stain and tears of your agony. Praying to God that he'd do for others what he did for you. He'd make them willing to be saved on God's terms. <coughs> Every 
everybody whom God doing the best he can, using all the means at his disposal, is unable to make with to bestow on his terms. God will send them to hell. When does it be your boy? Or your husband? Or your loved one? Preaching the truth and go up and down this country and have a hundred professions where I have one now. And that's your evangelism of the day. Amen. Because they leave out the sin question. They just say, How many of you want to be saved from hell? Everybody wants to be saved from hell. But if you walk down this aisle and repeat this prayer, God the merciful to me, a sinner, I guarantee you'll save you and you'll never be lost. Who wouldn't take up a proposition like that? And then they go right on out to the same hog pen they've been in all the time, trying to die and go to hell. Because salvation's not from hell. That's incidental. Salvation's from sin. From sin. You ain't never been saved, my friend, unless you wanted to be saved from sin. If all you ever experienced was you decided you didn't want to go to hell, you don't know my Lord. He came to save people from the sin. That's right, brother. And unless he can do that, he'll have to send you to hell. If he stays gone. Why? Why will he? Two reasons. God sends people to hell first. To keep them from doing any more damage. I don't know about you, my friend. But I don't believe Hitler who took the bodies of six million Jews and burned them and used the ashes from them to make soap to wash the bodies of German people. I don't believe he's in heaven. Heaven be my strange place that that butcher's at. I think him very much that this fellow Hall and whoever that woman was that took that little green leaf boy out and killed him. And then got $600,000 ransom money and went on a big drunk. I don't think they're fixing to go to heaven. Listen to me. Listen to me. God Almighty. Listen to me. God Almighty. That foolish line upon line in his book. That this whole world is just a place where he's preparing the people who will be happy in heaven. Amen. And God is standing in no reason in this power is showing to me. cannot make holy. He'll send to hell 
Because if you let one unsanctified, unregenerated sinner into heaven, they turn heaven into hell. And he's not going to do that. My blessed Lord says, I he better send me into hell and the letter of in heaven. And what I have to claim in my Jesus But the eternal city shall be occupied by people who are happy in the presence of God. And they'll not have to have anybody as policemen up there. Why did God send men to hell? He sent men to hell to punish them for their sins. shall be revealed from heaven with his angels of might in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and who obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Oh, God will punish me in hell. God will punish me in hell. You're an infidel. You're worse than an infidel. If you believe that, and do not cry mightily to God, then to have mercy on sinners. How much longer can we make out like we believe the Bible until we go to action as we would if we did? I was down in the city of Mobile, Alabama, and was on the radio in a tent meeting at 30 minutes on the radio. And I was led, I thought, to preach on judgment, hell. And for three solid weeks I did on the radio. People came to the tent under conviction, whittled down by God through the message over the radio. And then the phones began to ring. The religious people of Mobile were angry. People being saved in the store business. People talking about the things that got on the street. The religious people were getting angry about it. And they began to phone into the manager and said, You must take that fellow off there so that we, that we can't stand it any longer. He said, He got everybody disturbed and all that hell business. And said, If you don't take him off there, we're going to quit advertising with you. And some said, if you don't put them off there, we're going to write the Federal Commission and have your license taken away. And he came and told me all about it. And I said, we're buying the time, and I certainly don't want to cause you any 
embarrassment, we'll just go off there. He said, no, you won't. He said, no, you won't. He said, I know the Lord. And he said, it's the first time I ever saw anybody in this town interested in escaping the judgment of God. And he said, if it breaks me, you're going to stay on there. Bless his heart. And so I did. I got a letter I remember one time from a friend. And in his letter, he showed that my message hadn't got over to him. He said, young man, I've been listening to you preach, and I want to differ with you. He said, I do not believe that it would do a sinner any good for God to send him to hell. I don't understand how he missed my message as much as he did what he did. I do not believe, he said, that it do a sinner any good for God to send him to hell. And the next day I made that my sermon. I didn't call him by name. I just said a friend writes, and I think he's missed my message altogether. And I said his position is that he does not believe it would do a sinner any good for God to send him to hell. And I said that man's exactly right. He won't do a sinner any good for God to send him to hell. For God don't send people to hell to do them good. God sends people to hell to punish them for the sin. That's why God sends men to hell, to punish them. This is awful, but it's so. This is so. You see why I try to get you to the Christ in agony before God. Oh. The people in if God won't punish Okay. 
bring us to the place of prayer. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.